0: Welcome to AOT 101, the attendees will learn about the AOT program and procedures and guidelines for providers who are working with clients who have been accepted into the AOT program. I'm Monique Padilla, Licensed, man- licensed Marriage and Family Therapist with the AOT program. I act as the AOT coordinator. Um, over the course of the next three days, uh, you will be provided with a large amount of information Uh, Please bear with me. It is a lot of info and it could be very dry at times, Um, but you'll get all the info you really need about the AOT program and how to work with, how to implement our program with our clients. So just to start off, I wanted to give you guys um, a page full of abbreviation and terms that you're going to hear me repeatedly say over the next three days. Uh, we'll work through all of these terms eventually, and you guys will understand how we kind of talk within the ALT program. We kind of have our own lingo, um, but this is for your reference, just in case we have not hit one of these top one of these terms, and I'm um, using it frequently. So I just want to make sure you guys are all aware. Uh, the Just to highlight some points, I guess the biggest is AOT, which is Assisted Outpatient Treatment. Uh, AOT-ONE, which is our Assisted Outpatient Treatment Outreach and Engagement Team. ERS, which is Enriched Residential Services. And um, LMHTP, which is going to be Licensed Mental Health Treatment Provider. As well as PD for public defender petition, which is a formally written request. Um, it's the it's what we use to file file with the court for supporting doc, our supporting documents. It's also the term we use for our court process. And then petition is what we refer to as the individual who is um, part of our court process. The rest of the terms are th- things you guys will hear throughout. Um, throughout the course of the training, but those are some that you might hear really early on um, that I won't fully explain as we move along in the beginning. I'll explain later. So day one, uh, this these are the objectives for you guys to under have a definition of the AOT statute, an explanation of the DMH AOT program, navigating the different levels of care we have within AOT, an explanation of the AOT-specific measurements that all providers are to utilize when they have an enrolled client, and then an explanation of the AOT referral process. Um, so, assisted outpatient treatment, also known as Laura's Law, is part of Welfare Institution Code 5345. Former Assembly bill, Formerly Assemblywoman Helen Thomas authorized the Assembly Bill of 1421, establishing Assisted Outpatient Treatment Demonstration Project Act of 2002, known as Laura's Law. It identifies persons with serious mental illness and history of treatment noncompliance. It assesses if there is substantial risk for deterioration and or detention under Welfare Institution Code 5150, which could be mitigated by provisions of appropriate services or mandated participation in such services. Laura's law was initiated following the 2001 killing of Laura Wilcox, one of three individuals who was shot and killed on January 1st, 2001 by a man with untreated severe mental illness. She had worked for a North, um, Nevada County's Public Health Mental Public Mental Health Clinic, um, Nevada County is the first county within Ale- within California that implemented the AOT program. Um, Laura's Law is modeled on Kendra's Law, a similar statute enacted in New York in 1999, following a series of incidents involving individuals with mental illness becoming violent. One of the incidents in which a 29-year-old man diagnosed with schizophrenia had pushed a female into an oncoming um, subway train. Um, Resulting in her death. Uh, There are 47 states that permit the, um, the use of assisted outpatient treatment, also called outpatient commitment in some of these states. As of July 1st, 2001, there are 31 California counties that have opted in to implement assisted outpatient treatment. Originally, there was 20 counties prior to July 1st that have been implementing AOT. As of July 1st, 11 new counties have opted in to implement the program and are barely starting to put together their program. There has been some changes to the statute. Um, AB 1976 went into effect on July 1st, 2001. It repeals the sunset sunset date for Laura's Law, thereby extending the program indefinitely. In addition, it had changes in which the counties are required to provide AOT services. Counties can now opt out of providing AOT. Uh, Originally before July 1st, counties had to opt in. Now as July, every county technically will need to provide AOT unless their Board of Supervisors uh, completes a letter and sends over to the state why they're not gonna have the program. Other changes is who can refer to the AOT program. They have added one more party, as well as there's now a collaborative implementation of AOT for counties in which smaller counties can join um, with more than one county to implement the AOT program within within several counties. In addition, on September 30th of 2001, um, SB 507 was approved by the governor and chaptered by Secretary of State. This uh, new bill will bring about changes in the criteria of AOT, allowing for video conferencing testimony. It also will have affiance identify the capacity of a client to give informed consent regarding psychotropic medication when we're petitioning clients. Um, it also allows for eligible conservatees who is a subject of a pending petition to term. For termination to be considered um, to be considered for AOT and possibly petitioned for AOT. So what is AOTLA? Department of Mental Health establishing established the assistant outpatient treatment for Los Angeles program to implement Laura's law. May of 2015, the program accepted its first referral. As of October 13, 2001, the program has received referrals for 3,502 individuals with 2,237 of those referrals being determined to meet AOT criteria. Currently we have 10, 20, pending, uh, 20 referrals that are pending review. Um, of those 3,502 individuals, some of these individuals have actually been referred to our program on multiple occasions. Um, maybe they've had two referrals to us. I believe sometimes I've seen that maybe somebody has been referred to us about four or five times. Uh, the ALTLA is implemented with an am- administrative oversight by the Mental Health Commission and various stakeholders. Uh, DMH, Countywide Engagement Division, operates the ALT program. So they oversee the administrative side of the ALT program. They also oversee the ALT outreach and engagement teams. We, The administrative side oversees the FSPs that are implementing Um, The services to providers, in conjunction, we also have ICD, who oversees our ERSs, with conjunction with the AOT administration. Uh, Historically, contracted providers have treated the individuals through food service partnership services and enriched residential service facilities. As of July 1st of this year, contracted and directly operated providers will be treating the individuals through FSP and ERS. AOTLA expands interagency collaboration. We work with the superior courts, county council, public defender's office, consumer and fam- what was consumer and family affairs, disability rights, NAMI, local law enforcement, to name some. So, getting into the actual statute of uh, fifty three oh, forty six five and 5346, sorry fifty three forty six. Um, we're going to now begin to talk about the who can refer to AOT and what the criteria of AOT is. Um, so, by statute 5346, the following individuals can refer to can refer an individual to the AOT program: a cohabitant age 18 or older, a close relative, specifically parent, sibling, spouse, or a child of the individual who's over the age of 18 the director of the individual's residential care facility, hospital director in which the client is currently, in which the client is currently in that hospital, a licensed mental health treatment provider who is either supervising the treatment of or, or treating the individual individual's mental illness a peace parole or probation officer assigned to supervise the referred party, and a judge of a superior court before whom the person who is the subject of the referral appears. So the judge is the, is the most recent um, addition to who can refer to AOT. Um, so just to give you guys some numbers in regards to um, who's referring to our program. Sorry, so licensed mental health treatment providers is the largest referring party. 73% of all our referrals are coming from licensed mental health treatment providers. Uh, The second largest number of referrals is coming from the family side. So parents, spouse, siblings, or the adult child of the individual. 19% of our referrals come from there. Um, Then the next biggest category is probably law enforcement, which is 5% of our referrals. And then after that is very few numbers in regards to the other areas. Um, not, qualified refer, not qualified referring parties or maybe an unknown status of who the referring party was when they made the referral. We have about 3% of our referrals that come in that way. Typically our team will do um, a thorough investigation and try to identify someone else who can refer the individual when it's a non-qualified referring party. But in the end, we still ended up with about 3% of all those referrals that don't technically qualify. So just a, a look at kind of to see where the referrals actually come from in regards to different a- agencies and organizations out there. So hospitals, mental health, housing, whole person care, um, miss providers, SMART and Med team, uh, mail health mental health, jail, linkage, law enforcement, the community, directly and legal entity, outpatient and or FSP providers, the home team, and PMRT. So the AOT criteria, per statute welfare institution code 5346, the following criteria needs to be currently present for an individual to be accepted and provided services through AOT. The individual needs to be 18 years of age or older, they need to be, uh, they need to have a serious mentally, mental illness, um, as defined in DSM-5, diagnose. So the person needs to have a diagnose um, that is persistent in duration, and may cause behavioral functional, behavioral and functioning which interferes substantially with primary activities of daily living. Um, they need to have functional impairments that are affecting their independent living, social relationship, vocational skills, or physical condition. They need to be unlikely to survive safely in the community without supervision. The individual's condition is substantially deteriorating. Um, This next one is an or part. So they need to have a history of lack of compliance with treatment for the individual's mental illness demonstrated through at least one of the following. The mental illness has at least twice within the last 36 months been a factor of necessity hospitalizations or receipt of services in a forensic or other mental health unit of a state or local correctional facility. This is excluding any current hospitalizations or incarcerations at the time that the referral was made. So basically in the last 36 months, two or more hospitalizations or forensic mental health episodes or... The individual's mental illness have resulted in one or more acts of serious and violent behavior towards self or another or threats or attempts to cause serious physical harm to self or another within the last 48 months. And again, excluding any hospitalization or incarceration in which that threat or behavior occurred while the referral was made. So again, for this part of the criteria, it's one of the three. Hospitalization, forensic mental health episode, or the threat. In addition, the individual has been offered an opportunity to participate in a treatment plan and fails to engage in treatment. With this being said, um, sorry, voluntary services are not an alternative to AOT. AOT requires that voluntary services have been offered and the client refuse. So we're actually usually looking at us as the last point. Um, outpatient has been offered, FSP has been offered, and the client has refused those services or, or, or failed to participate in those services maybe when they got started. In addition, AOT would be the least restrictive placement to support recovery and stability. In review of the individual's treatment history and current behavior, the individual is in need of AOT in order to prevent relapse or deterioration that would be likely to result in grave disability or serious harm to self or another as defined in section 5150. It is likely that the individual will benefit from AOT. So this is our nine point criterion. In addition to that, when the referral is made, the person needs to be believed to be living in Los Angeles County. We will only provide services to the individual if they are in LA County. So due to the passing of SB 507, I had mentioned that there is a change to the criteria that will be coming. Um, We are now going to have a seven point criterion. And all it is, is not necessarily a change to the criteria, but now there are options. So this person still needs to be 18 years or older. There still needs to be a mental illness. They still need to be offered an opportunity to participate in a treatment plan and fail to engage. Um, AOT still needs to be seen as the least restrictive placement, and and the client needs to be likely likely to benefit from AOT program. Um, In addition, the hospitalizations of forensic mental health within the last 36 months or the threat within the last 48 months still exists as well. What has changed is now that There has been a clinical determination that in review of the person's treatment history and current behavior, at least one of the following is true. The individual is unlikely to survive safely in the community without supervision and the person's condition is substantially deteriorating. Or the individual is in need of AOT in order to prevent a relapse of deterioration that will be likely to result in grave disability or serious harm harm to the person or others as defined in section 5150. So these three are actually part of the original criteria. They're just now one big component of it instead of separate individual ones. So the person needs to either be identified as unlikely to survive safely in the community and deteriorating, if that if that is not found to be true, then we need to be able to say that the individual that we are trying to prevent the relapse or deterioration of the individual. So with the ability to say that we're trying to prevent the relapse or deterioration, this may actually allow us to accept more clients that initially that than we used to, because we used to have to be able to say that they were actually deteriorating at the moment we were accepting their referrals. So this is a change that will be coming um, once SB 507 goes into effect. So some clinical terms that um, the Department of Mental Health utilizes when looking at our criteria. So unlikely to survive safely in the community without supervision is a person is unable to provide for food, clothing, or shelter in a manner consistent with preservation of reasonable physical health and safety. For example, exposed to easy victimization and are exposed to environmental health dangers. Substantial deterioration is an exasperation of mental health problems associated with mental illness that is causing functional impairments as evidenced by inability to safely care for self or severe emotional distress. Likely to benefit is a clinical evaluation, including the history and current condition, provide evidence that the individual has a treatable mental health condition as evidenced by previous good response to treatment or a clinical presentation that is associated with response to evidence-based practices. So when we look at our criteria and we're looking at these three different categories, this is what, this is how we define it to try to see if the person is appropriate for our program. Further parts of our criteria, Um, is that per statute welfare institution code 5346, the treatment is for 180 days with possibility of extending in six month increments. Also per statute 5348, a provider is required to have a 10 to one client to staff ratio. Plans for service include outreach to families who, whose mentally ill adult is living with them, coordination and access to medication, psychiatric and psychological services, substance abuse services, supportive housing or other housing assistance, vocational rehabilitation and veteran services. But this is not what our services are limited to. There also needs to be a treatment plan and a provide, we need to be able to provide cultural and logistical services. So, um, just a, this is a workflow you guys are going to see kind of throughout the next three days as we progress and kind of talk about the program and how we work through our different steps that we have. Um, so just to kind of recap, we um, before we get started with any client, we need to double check on who the referral source is to our program, and we need to see that the client has a criteria. And our outreach and engagement team clinicians are the ones who review these referrals that are coming in to determine that those two factors are appropriate according to our statute. Um, so the next two slides I wanted to share with you guys some um, committees and teams that you guys will be hearing about and may be invited to partake in or be told that they're the ones that are reviewing something for you, so that way you guys understand um, who these different groups are within the AOT program. So The AOT Referral Review Committee is a multidisciplinary team that coordinates treatment services through consultation. It determines the appropriateness for AOT referrals, and it makes recommendations regarding the referrals we're receiving, linkage, outreach and engagement efforts, and regarding disenrollment and petition filing. Um, This committee meets weekly on Tuesdays to review all referrals and any requests that are being made by the providers. The other committee is the AOT Oversight Committee. It meets quarterly. Uh, We actually just had our committee meeting this month in October. Um, It's composed of specific members of the Mental Health Commission and community stakeholders. The committee monitors the implementation and operation of AOTLA. It represents a spectrum of viewpoints for planning and improvements. It reports to the Los Angeles Board of Supervisors and other community stakeholders as needed. As well as providers are invited to these meetings randomly selected and they will receive an invite for any upcoming meetings. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: One of the teams that are part of AOT is the AOT outreach and engagement team, also um, often referred to in emails as the AOT O&E team. Uh, The team is DMH operated through countywide engagement division. It provides extensive outreach and engagement for a minimum of 30 days, screens and assesses for the appropriateness of the program in regards to referrals. The team attempts to initiate voluntary agreement to mental health services for those clients that we accept. uh, The team identifies appropriate level of care and completes referrals for an FSP or ERS provider when a client agrees or is court ordered. They conduct warm handoffs with the client and assigned FSP ERS provider. They also initiate the petition process during the O and e phase of services. Um, these teams do not provide treatment. They are solely based for outreach and engagement. Uh, so we have two offices within the AOT program, our Little Tokyo office, which services areas, um, which services, service areas one through four, and then our Lomita office, which services, uh, service area five through eight. In addition, we have our administrative side of our program, um, which has a program manager, a staff assistant, and then the ALT coordinator. Um, so we are a very small admin. Right now, we currently are down our staff assistant, So everything that the staff assistant used to handle um, as it relates to maybe providers or just our program is currently being handled by the, the ALT coordinator, um, which as I mentioned, is me. Our program manager is Linda Boyd. And then in regards to our two supervisors of our two outreach teams is Stacy Atkins and Malik Tate. Um, We are actually going to, uh, those of you who have been working with our program might have heard, um, our two supervisors are actually leaving our program probably within the next month or so. They are moving on in their career advance to in regards to their career advancement. we have made an offer for our little Lomita office, and our little Tokyo is still pending um, regarding a new supervisor. We have two full uh, teams in, two full two-man teams in both of our offices that are currently operating. Uh, we are short staffed, so. My teams try to schedule and do what they can and, and get out there to see our clients on our weekly base, but we are short staff as we only have two food two-man teams. Our teams are made up of the outreach teams, sorry, are made up of licensed mental health, um, licensed marriage and family therapists, licensed clinical social workers, RNs, LPTs, community workers. We have one psychologist that works with our court process. And then we ha- we did have one part-time psychiatrist um, at the moment. He probably left us about a few months ago. We have yet to hire a new psychiatrist that's still on hold. Um, in the meantime, we have borrowed a psychiatrist from another program on a case-to-case space. Oh, in addition, um, for those who may know where our two offices are that where our offices are located. Uh, Our Little Tokyo office, as well as the admin of AOT will be moving. Uh, Our admin will be moving next week and Little Tokyo will be moving on November 9th. So there will be some changes to the phone numbers that are provided. Um, Our main lines will still be working and our staff cell phones will still be accurate, which are the numbers that are on this uh, slide, but the desk lines that if any of you may have. Um, those will be changing for the Little Tokyo and the admin staff. We will now be um, by the courts in downtown LA. So what, um, so the next few slides, I want to kind of talk to you guys about what AOT is. so, Um, What does AOT do? AOT fills a gap in the treatment continuum. Uh, AOT allows for a treatment option that is less restrictive than conservatorship or locked inpatient facilities. AOT is not a remedy for all, but does support the possibility of engaging some individuals in treatment that would otherwise not be possible to engage. Uh, Outpatient treatment services for AOT involved clients. So AOT clients are linked to outpatient treatment services through an expansion in existing adult mental health services acts, MHSA, or community services and support programs. We utilize Enriched Residential Services facilities, ERS, and Food Service Partnership FSP programs to provide services to our clients. Um, In regards to ERS, we currently have three agencies that have a contract for to provide AOT. Um, Those three agencies in total have four sites that we utilize, 60 slots are available for our clients. In regards to food service partnership, effective July 1st of 2021, all providers directly operated and legal entity with an FSP program are eligible to receive an AOT client. We still though for this fiscal year have specifically uh, 300 slots that are allocated Solely for AOT clients, those slots are with 15 agencies. Um, these are 15 agencies that had previously, before this fiscal year, had a Pacific contract for AOT. Um, currently, since now all FSPs can have a AOT referral as of July, we currently have 45 clients that are referred to 26 FSPs teams that never had any involvement with AOT before. So, the, so these referrals are getting out there and going to, um, AOT, going to providers who never had AOT before. Um, sorry. So what is a food service partnership? FFP provides comprehensive field-based, intensive, community-based mental health services for individuals who typically have not responded well to outpatient mental health and psychiatric rehabilitation services or may have avoided utilization of these services while incurring high costs related to acute hospitalizations or long-term care. FSP services provided, provided to clients and families shall be based on their individual needs and goals Each FSP enrollee participates in the development of a treatment plan that is focused on wellness and recovery. The treatment team is available 24 7 to provide crisis services to the client. FSP services support the consumer as they transition to a lower level of care. In regards to what enriched residential services are, ERS facilities are designed to provide supportive on-site mental health services with a recovery-based, intensive, and supportive service in community housing. The program targets those individuals who require on-site mental health and supportive services to transition to stable community placement and prepare for more independent community living. Each ERS enrollee participates in the development of an individualized plan focused on recovery and wellness. Principles that includes activities and services that will promote successful reintegration into the community. So, regarding the services that are being offered to the clients that are part of AOT, in regards to what the teams look like and are offering, um, they should be uh, services should be field based. There should be a multidisciplinary team. There should be twenty four seven crisis support. For FSP contracts, all um, FSP providers should have an LPS designated staff. They should also have an after hours crisis line that has been given, number that has been given to the clients and their families. So for when families might be in crisis and in need of support. Um, there is a um, mental health treatment that uses staff to client ratio of no more than 10 to one clients per one staff. A team, a team approach, Capacity for frequent contact, so as an FSP provider, um, clients should be seen at at least once a week, but with AOT, especially since our ratio is lower, we do expect that providers are seeing the clients more than that. Um, Not necessarily that one individual is seeing the client more than that, but as a team approach, the client is having more than one contact um, with team members. Services that that are client direct and employee recovery principles. Uh, in regards to services, the integrated services that in, there should be integrated services that include mental health, substance abuse, and physical health. Intensive case management, peer coaches, and support, housing assistance, and assistance with benefits such as Medicaid, SSI, or GR. Um, regarding some of the skills that should be applied for our clients is community um, related to community integration, educational, vocational services, and life skills. So goals of AOT, FSP services is to help clients and families increase their ability to function at optimal levels and independently, where appropriate with a commitment to do whatever it takes to help, those, help them progress towards recovery and wellness. ERS services is to promote successful reintegration into the community. So in regards to real terms, and, and we will talk at what we're trying to achieve with our clients, um, we're trying to serve those individuals that are high risk. So we would like to see a reduction in hospitalizations, reduce jail days, reduce contact with police, reduce homelessness, or reduce statements and behaviors leading to threats to self or others. Um, In regards to improved quality of life, uh, we'd like to see an increase in completion of ADLs, a reduced number of AWOLs from living facilities, increase in medication compliance, increase in attendance of appointments, increase in participation in treatment, Increase in appropriate interaction with family, significant others, treatment team members, or community members, reduce reduce number of days of isolation or withdrawal. Um, These expectations um, are not, it's not limited to these expectations. I mean, there's many more things that our providers can work with these clients on, but these are some of the general ones that we see for the type of clients that we are receiving. So, as part of the AOT pro part of the county implementing the AOT program, they also have to turn in a state report yearly on um, different areas of how the program is operating and functioning. So I will talk a little bit more about those in a, in a bit, but what I wanted to share with you based off of talking about goals and the services that we offered, we just actually recently turned in our 2019-2020 state report. It was solely based off of 108 petition clients, and these were the following things that we noted with um, those 108 petition clients. There was a reduction in homelessness, a reduction in contact with law enforcement, reduction in hospitalizations, reduction in violent behavior, and reduction in self-reported substance use. In regards to the services that our providers have been offering their clients, from the most utilized service to the least, was case management is the number one service that um, is most often utilized, and then individual rehabilitation, medication support, individual therapy, crisis intervention, and then group rehabilitation, which is the least utilized. I think there was maybe only a handful of billing related to group. Um, on average, our providers are seeing, were seeing those 108 clients um, twice a week. So two services were being offered per week. So there are some misconceptions about AOT. I know I filter a lot of phone calls or emails from the community or providers as well as our team members do. Um, And so these are some of the things that we often come across or hear. Um, So AOT is not conservatorship and AOT does not lead to conservatorship. We are big advocates for conservatorship while we're working with our clients who may be appropriate for conservatorship, but we don't have any function as it relates to conservatorship. AOT does not mandate medication. Um, AOT does not have the authority to mandate involuntary long term hospitalization. During a referral process, and while an individual might be connected with an outreach and engagement team, crisis response um, is not provided by our program. Now, we do have LPS designated staff. And if they're out there with the client, and in that moment the client is experiencing a crisis, then our staff will step in. And, and handle that crisis and and hospitalize an individual if they believe it's appropriate. But our staff does not do anything outside of an actual session as it relates to crisis. So current providers are responsible for handling that or um, families calling 911 or PMRT Treatment does not begin until the client is actually referred and enrolled with the FSP or ERS provider. Again, as I mentioned, our outreach team does not provide treatment. AOT, um, the outreach team, again, does not place individuals as it relates to housing. So placement will come with the assignment of a provider. AOT is not meant for the difficult or violent clients. So a lot of times, often with providers, um, what I have experienced is providers thinking that because a case is very difficult or because a client is violent with their own, with their staff members are just violent in nature, that they're not appropriate for that level of care, which might be outpatient or FSP. Um, And they think that AOT is meant for these clients. That's actually not true. AOT is meant for the client who's not compliant with treatment. Now we do have, we do, many of our cases are difficult and and a number of our clients may have violent history, Um, but we're not for that sole purpose. Again, we are for the non-compliant individual. Uh, Although AOT is an outpatient program and all outpatient services are voluntary, um, the AOT program is not voluntary in the traditional sense that we think of outpatient services. Um, If a client says no to our outreach team or they say no to the provider when they're being handed off, that does not mean that services end and, and providers or the outreach team stops engaging the client just because the client says no. Through the AOT program, we have Other means to um, get compliance with services by the client, and that is that we have a court process in which we can petition the client, we can petition the court to order treatment. Um, Again, the client has a choice in that do they follow through or not? But just because the client says they don't want services does not mean that a referral or treat that a referral closes or that a provider can disenroll a client when a client makes that statement. Um, So that's why we kind of say that AOT itself is not voluntary in a traditional sense. Are there any questions as it relates to the area we have just covered in the chat? Yes, Monique, there's several
1: questions. Um, First one is, do you have a substance abuse counselor on your team?
0: We... We do. Our Lomita office has a substance abuse counselor. Um, he, that's not his title within the department, but he is a, a substance abuse counselor. Okay, thank you.
1: Uh, another question is, could you clarify, since AOT services are provided by FSP, does that care look different than a standard FSP referral?
0: So the care and the services you guys are offering, no, it does not. Um, and especially with the transformation, as many of you guys heard, an FSP is an FSP now, which is why all the FSPs were merged together. Um, so what you guys would be offering a normal FSP client, would should be the same in regards to AOT. There is just some slight differences as some of the things I mentioned in regards to the statute. Um, and then tomorrow we'll talk a little bit more regarding some of the other differences. And again, it's more of the approach that a provider takes with a case and how they handle the case, especially if the client's being difficult or non-compliant. But regards to the services offered um, and the treatment, that will be the same across the board because it's, it's an FSP. So they should be getting the same that you will be providing to any other FSP client.
1: Thank you. Next question is, as COVID-19 continues to be a risk, is there a required contact with a client face-to-face or can it be telehealth or telephone contact?
0: So um, we still are adhering to COVID and telehealth is still appropriate when it's appropriate. Unfortunately for AOT clients, telehealth is typically not appropriate. Um, many of these clients, some of these clients do not have the ability to utilize telehealth because of technology or because of their symptoms, is not really an option. Um, so we do expect that our provide the, those who are providing services to AOT clients are going out for face-to-face contact for the warm handoff and for the services. But when it is appropriate, because we do have some higher functioning clients, then it is, it, it's okay. Thank you.
1: Uh, can you clarify what differentiates a client who is more appropriate for FSP versus ERS services?
0: Um, sorry, I'm trying to think if I go over this tomorrow. I believe I do to some extent, but for, uh, for ERS, it's more for an individual who needs uh, 24-7 monitoring. Um, they need that supervision. They are not an individual who is considered to be gravely disabled, but because of their mental health, they do need a supervision on a 24 seven base. Um, there are several restrictions for the type of individual who can go into one of the four ERSs that we utilize. And I definitely will cover that tomorrow. Um, but it, it's, it's more the person who needs that monitoring, but again, who are not, who's not considered gravely disabled.
1: Thank you. Um, we have two more questions. Um, what pieces of AOT connection are mandatory for clients and how is that enforced or executed?
0: Um, whoever might have asked that question, please let me know if I'm getting this right. Are you asking about what the provider needs to do or at the expectation of the client? Um, so, I mean, in, in regards to maybe expectations, uh, uh, What's needed for the provider, again, it will be um, you know, the weekly contacts, the, the warm handoff. Um, there's a 10 to one ratio, but I know right now with this fiscal year, that is very difficult for many providers to adhere to. And so we understand that hopefully by next fiscal year, it would be something that would definitely need to be implemented um, because it is by statute. We do need to meet it, but we just know that right now many providers aren't able to meet that expectation. Um, I'm trying to think of anything Uh, else.
1: Elaborated, um, thinking about what the provider would do in order to engage a client who's non-compliant or refusing. Um, You mentioned petitioning the court.
0: Okay, Um, so we will definitely cover that in a much more fuller depth tomorrow. So hopefully you will be on tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to be all about Um, from the point the client is referred to the provider through the very end of the client being an AOT. I will also have two guest speakers in regards to uh, two of our current AOT providers who are going to share their experience working with our clients and um, provide some advice on how they approach the clients like in warm handoff and difficult cases. So I'm hoping that gives you guys a better perspective um, during tomorrow's training on how to work with the clients. Um, so I would like to leave that for tomorrow, right I can.
1: And then our last question is, would you please explain more about treatment does not begin until the client is referred and enrolled with an FSP or ERS provider?
0: Um, so again, that's just more, um, related to the misconception. So a lot of people, families or providers think that once the client has been referred to the AOT program and accepted, meaning that they meet our criteria and we're going to do outreach, they're thinking that some form of treatment is going to be given to that individual. And that's not accurate. Um, Our teams are outreaching to get the client to accept services, not accept services with them, but just to accept services, mental health services. This time window can span from anywhere from, well, it should be a minimum of 30 days, but sometimes clients are very quick to say yes, um, to several months. Um, Our teams technically should only be keeping the cases for 90 days, but sometimes they keep them longer than that in the outreach phase. And during that window, there is no form of treatment that's being given by our outreach team. Um, We were at one time giving some support to medication when appropriate and if truly needed. But again, since we don't have a psychiatrist on our team anymore, that component is actually gone. So now it's just just outreach. There is no form of treatment. Um, So treatment options does not start until the client has been referred to one of the providers, ERS or FSP. That's when actual treatment begins. Um, so high level care within AOT. Um, I probably shouldn't use, be using this word, but we do have a different level of care within our program. As I mentioned, we utilize FSP and ERSs. Um, FSP is the default service for AOT clients. Um, if AOT, if our AOT outreach and engagement team, um, does not decide that ERS is appropriate level of care for the individual, then the client is automatically going to be assigned to an FSP. It doesn't really matter what the symptoms are or or what is going on. Um, FSP is basically the default level of care for any client in AOT unless they are appropriate and they were accepted for ERS. Um, So, in regards to ERS facilities, um, they are designed to provide supportive on-site mental health services with recovery-based intensive and supportive services in community housing. They are licensed facilities. They are 24-7 capacity for emergency and specialized programming. They have licensed mental health providers, mental health workers, certified drug and alcohol counselors, family and peer support advocates. The program targets those individuals who require onsite mental health and supportive services to transition to stable community placement and prepare for more independent community living. The individual must have a primary diagnosis of a serious and persistent mental illness. They must not require treatment in a locked setting. They must be stable if being discharged from a hospital. On top of that, they're being discharged from a hospital and were accepted, they have to be compliant with medication. They must require the intensity of services provided by this level of care. Um, There are some restrictions um, in regards to who gets referred and who is even accepted into the ERSs that the AOT program works with. Um, These are such as there's some physical health limitations of what type of client can be accepted based off of their medical conditions that they may have. Um, there is some restrictions as it relates to uh, criminal charges. Any individual that has any arson charges is not going to be accepted, as well as a registered sex offender. Um, there is also some symptomology and behavior behaviors that will not be acceptable. So clients who are violent... Um, who has a violent history, depending on what the history is, may not be accepted as well as any recent violent behavior. So if there was any incidents that may have happened within the last month um, that was violent in nature, the ERSs typically will not accept the individual. They may say that they need to come back and do another interview after a few weeks to see how the client is doing, if they're stable, if it relates to medication or just Um, how their symptomology has been um, presenting over the last several weeks before they would reconsider the the referral Um, but there are some violent behavior incidents in which um, that may be long term may be reoccurring that the program just will not consider at all. ERSs are voluntary So, all your ERSs will do an interview with the individual. During this interview, the individual needs to be willing to accept the rules um, that are related to that specific ERS. They need to be willing to say that they're going to adhere to the rules of that ERS. They need to be willing to say that they're going to take medication if they're not currently on. Um, They need to be willing to say that. They're going to stop any substance use if they are using. Um, And then one of our ERSs is is a lot more stricter within their first 30 days of what a client can or cannot do. And so if that ERS um, is interviewing the individual, then the individual needs to be willing to adhere to that 30-day window in which um, they have restrictions. And I think one of the restrictions is kind of they're not able to leave the ERS. So um, if the client is not willing to adhere to those several areas, then definitely that referral is not going to be accepted by that ERS. So for clients who may need additional prompting that you would get than, than what you would get at a boarding care, not a person who is gravely disabled or medically compromised, someone who's capable of doing day, daily activities just needs that prompting because of their mental health, that would be the type of individual who is appropriate for the ERS. Um, in regards to conservatorship, as I mentioned, the AOT program has no ties to conservatorship, but we are a big advocate as it relates to conservatorship. So, we do expect that the providers, if they're dealing with a client who they believe should be conserved and who's gravely disabled, that when the client is hospitalized, they are advocating with the treatment team at the hospital for them to be, for the individual to be evaluated for conservatorship, providing them with any documentation or any write up that they can support um, why they believe the client should be conserved. So that way the hospital team can consider it. Um, one of the the few benefits that we have as it relates to conservatorship within our program is related to those clients who are petitioned, um, again, which are our court-ordered clients. If again, the, the treatment team believes that the client can be conserved, should be conserved, if the client is hospitalized um, while they are court-ordered with our program, our court with, our court can indicate on a minute order that the hospital evaluates the individual for conservatorship. Um, Again, this doesn't force the hospital to do anything related to conservatorship. It's just asking them to evaluate and provide back to the courtroom what their decision is. Um, So this puts a little bit of an emphasis onto the hospitals, but again, it doesn't make it happen. Um, It has happened for some cases, but again, it doesn't make it happen. It's just a little extra support Um, to push the hospital to at least evaluate the individual. So um, the referral process for ERS, um, the provider provider who has an AOT enrolled client should coordinate with the AOT, should consult with the AOT coordinator again, which is me, regarding um, your thoughts that an ERS might be more appropriate for the individual. The provider will need to submit a packet to to the AOT coordinator um, so that the AOT coordinator can make the ERS referral. This is after the consultation, of course. Um, An email will be sent from the AOT ERS coordinator to the referred ERS agencies and the existing FSP provider to indicate that the referral has been made. Um, the ERS provider is responsible for consulting with the FSP provider and scheduling a time so that the ERS, the FSP provider and the client um, can meet so that the client can be interviewed. If the ERS provider, the ERS provider will provide a written notification of their acceptance or the decline of the, of the referral um, to ICD and an ICD will pass it along to myself or to, uh, to myself if I'm dealing with a provider. In addition, they will pass it along to the outreach and engagement team if that's who they're dealing with. If accepted, um, arrangements will need to be made in regards to the admin date and transportation of the, of the client to the ERS. The client is not admitted until they are physically at the ERS and are completing the admin process. Um, FSP providers who whose client is currently enrolled with them typically will not be allowed to close the case um, at the admin. I like to try to keep you guys to have the case open for a few days because um, if history proves right, these clients often leave right before the admission paperwork gets completed or within 24 hours of being admitted into the ERS. And if that's the case and the client needs to get back to treatment and that is best done by staying with the FSP provider who they are with. So we typically won't have the FS, you won't be involved with the client, but we won't have you closed for a few days just to ensure that the client is staying at the facility. In regards to the ERS packet, there are several documents that will need to be um, handed over to myself to make the referral for ERS. So a face sheet, we need to have a medical history and physical and HNP. This needs to be this needs to have been done within the past year. Um, this is typically done, you know, if the client's in the hospital or, or if the client just had a medical appointment. Um, psychosocial history. So everything that's kind of part of the ANA, a treatment plan, the medication list, um, a psychiatric evaluation. So we do need to have a diagnosed documented. Uh, the client needs to have a results regarding TB, and that needs to be within the past year. There needs to be a minimum of 14 days of interdisciplinary progress notes, a minimum of 14 days of psychiatrist progress notes. Um, Somewhere, there needs to be a documentation as it relates to forensic history or if the client is a uh, registered sex offender. Um, In regards to the HMP and the TB test results, um, that does not need to be given at the time the referral is made. But before the client can be admitted into the ERS, those two items need to be completed. In addition, because of COVID, um, many of the ERSs are making sure that regarding the client's uh, status. So they're either asking for testing, they're doing screening, they're doing temperature checks, um, they're looking into the medical clearance to ensure that the client at the moment has not been exposed to COVID. So because of that, um, I think we're moving away from it a little bit, not fully yet. But when COVID hit, it really changed our ERS practice. Uh, historically, we were able to take individuals from the community and refer them to ERS, and the clients would be accepted from from the community. Due to COVID, um, that was no longer occurring. We could not refer out from the community, so the person either had to be coming from jail, from a CRTP, um, or from a hospital. Um, and this was related to the to the ERSs wanting to ensure that the client had um, not was not currently did not currently have COVID um, or any risk of having COVID. So they wanted to make sure that they were in a secure setting where they were being monitored and COVID was not a risk. Um, I believe we're kind of moving away in that we can make a referral for somebody in the community, but they still want them to be checked. And so what we're kind of been utilizing is the urgent cares um, to ensure that the client um, does not have COVID in that moment before they get admitted into an ERS. So that's a process in in its own when we're about to admit a person into ERS if they're coming from the community. If the person is hospitalized at the time the referral is made, there's additional documentation that is needed from the hospital, such as um, the medication and administration sheet, including any PRN sheets, uh, current labs, x-rays, drug screening, any information if the client had to be restrained or put in seclusion and in the hospital progress notes. So this is an additional packet that is sent if the client is in a hospital while the ERS referral was made. Any questions as it relates to ERSs and the ALT program?
1: Uh, there is one question. If a client is referred initially to an ERS and declines, or if a client is rejected by ERS, would they then be referred to FSP instead?
0: Yes, and as I mentioned, FSP is a default of AOT. So if, if they refuse or they uh, or the ERS is, refuses for any moment, then the next level will be FSP. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, the AOT program does have some measures specifically for our enrolled clients that differ from any measures that you may need to do um, for FSP or for any other reason that your agency may have. Um, so as I had indicated, um, We have a state report that we turn in annually, and this is to indicate how um, the AOT program is being implemented as well as the progress that we are making, hopefully the progress that we are making with our clients. The measures that you guys are going to complete is to provide that that data as it relates to the state report. So everything that's in those measures are going to support the items that we need to report back to the state on. So the next two slides is is to let you guys kind of know what type of information they are currently asking. This is ever changing. Um, Initially initially used to be all clients enrolled in AOT for this past fiscal year, the 1920. um, They were asking specifically for the petition clients. And then they added some new items like we even had some questions about covid and if we use project room key for any of our clients this past year those were new questions as it related to what was occurring this past fiscal year that we had to answer on um, so we identified numbers of persons served by the program and of those the number who are able to maintain housing and the number who maintain contact with the treatment team uh, they ask for contact with law enforcement and the extent to which incarcerations have been reduced or avoided. Number of persons participating in employment services and pro- employment service programs, including competitive employment. Days of hospitalization of persons in the program that have been reduced or avoided. Adherence to prescribed treatment. Other indicators of successful engagement: victimization, violent behavior, substance abuse, type, intensity, and frequency of treatment. The extent to which enforcement mechanisms are used by the program when applicable. Right now, the only one that our program identified that might be an enforcement of me- mechanism was um, one of our court orders within the, within the petition client in which we're able to hospitalize clients. So we accounted for how many of those orders did we um, request the court to give so that we can put it into this um, section of the report. Homelessness. Enrolled in school or participating in educational services, Uh, the individual is able to obtain housing through AOT services, social functioning, skills and independent living, and then the satisfaction with the program services by those receiving them and by their families when relevant. Um, So, uh, we pull this mainly from the measures. Most of these questions are being answered through the measures that the providers are completing. But in addition, we pull some of the data from um, IBIS. So such as the, um, the time and the frequency and the services that are being offered. We look, at all, we look at the billing that is being billed for AOT clients. And then also the hospitalizations. We're looking at the episodes um, that are entered into IBIS related to hospitalizations. So AOT measures, we have four measures that we have providers completing. At the moment, we have you guys completing them for every enrolled AOT client. Um, This may change, as I mentioned, this this last state report was specifically for petition clients. We're gonna do a double check to see if that's how the state is gonna continue, just wanting to get the um, numbers for petition clients. And if that's the case, we, may be, we will be moving in the future towards only needing to fill these out when it's a petition client. But in the meantime, we are collecting it on every enrolled ALT client. So um, the names of these surveys and measures are the monthly reporting to MRT, the Monoma's Community Ability Scale, MCAS, the ALT client self-report survey, and then the clinician-rated client treatment goals measure survey. So the MRT needs to be comp- completed on a monthly basis uh, following enrollment. It is combined with the MCAS on, on a PDF document. Um, you need to indicate on the form if the client has been seen for the month. Um, sorry. No matter if you have seen the client or have not seen the client for that month, you are to submit an MRT. Um, there are sections on the MRT that will be completed even when the client has not been seen. So the first page, typically the top section of the first page fully gets done, but then there are several questions that relates to why it was not completed. Um, for whatever reason, the client may have not been seen. You're able to answer one or two questions at least. The survey is sent to our general email address, AOTLAOE at dmh.lacounty.gov these measures are due the first week of the following month. So if you are completing it for the month of May, then it's due due in June. So this is what the MRT currently looks like. It is two pages. Um, you would put in the reporting month with the year, your agency name. I do ask that um, now that this too is available for all FSPs who have an AOT client that you please make sure you select the appropriate one. I am going to update it. I think, um, if I do not put every agency's name in there, then I'll probably leave some space for that. You guys can fill it in. I just ask that you appropriately identify your name of your agency. So some of you guys have adult FSP, but, um, and a Pacific, You might have an adult FSP, but at multiple service areas. So make sure you put in that service area, Um, as well as you might have the AOT FSP. Um, So you want to make that distinction if it's the adult or the AOT. Um, The client's name and then program status. There are three options as it relates to program status. It's court-ordered voluntary settlement agreement and voluntary treatment plan. Court order is for any client who at the time you're at that month that you're completing this measure, the client is court ordered by the AOT court, meaning that their petition was sustained, um, which also means that we had to have an actual hearing where testimony was given um, for the hearing, for the for a decision to be made. Voluntary settlement agreement is also an individual whose court ordered through our AOT court but the client signed a settlement agreement to be under the court jurisdiction. These two items, you guys will be informed when you get the referral or you will be informed once the client becomes court ordered if it wasn't when the referral was made. Um, this, these items are also on the minute order that indicates that the client is court ordered. So these are things you can ask me for questions if you're not too sure which one of the two they might be, but you know that they're court ordered. Voluntary treatment plan is for any client who voluntarily agreed to AOT without the AOT court involvement. So that is what majority of our clients actually are. uh, And that would be the option you're choosing. Now, during the course that the client might be with you guys, that's the status may actually change. So again, um, they may have been voluntary and then they became petitioned or they may have been petitioned and then they became voluntary. So you just need to make sure you're choosing the, uh, correct option when you're filling these out monthly. Um, The admin date, so your guys' admin date, and then the discharge date should not be put in until you're actually submitting the final MRT, the MRT for the month that the client's being discharged out of AOT. That's when you're gonna have a discharge date. Then a few notes regarding the actual measure. Um, Number two, three, four, and five are all about client's appointments. So number two is asking how many scheduled appointments did the client have during that month? Number three is um, how many of the number two appointments were canceled, and this could be by the client or by the provider. Um, Number four is how many appointments did the client keep of the number that was listed in number two? And number five is how many appointments did the client miss? So not that they canceled, they just didn't show up. Um, of the number of appointments that were listed in number two. As I mentioned, this gets done no matter if you did or did not have contact with the client during that month. And so, um, for example, if the client was incarcerated, then you're going to need to fill out number one and number 11. If the client was hospitalized, then you will fill out number one, 14, and 15. Um, if any of the items you did not you were not able to answer, then on page two, there's a missing data field section in which you put the number that was not able to be answered and you indicate the reason that you were unable to answer it. So the second uh, scale is the MCAS. And as I mentioned, um, this is part, of, this is a PDF document that's combined with the MRT. So it's just one document you would be turning in with both of them. This is also done on a monthly base. Um, This is based on a client's current functioning at the time of completion. Um, The goal is to see change in clients functioning throughout time and treatment. So we often kind of have some comments about if the provider is actually updating these document, the MCAS when they're turning it in. I know that you know, maybe for our more severe cases, the first several months, we probably won't see any changes on this document. But if we're definitely saying that the client is graduating from the AOT program, they're ready to step down, then this measure should show some progress over that time window in which the client is working with the client. And there has been times that we have not seen that change, even when an individual is saying that the client is ready to graduate or step down in services. Um, so please make sure that you are updating the MCAS on a monthly basis based off of how the client is functioning that month. Again, this gets turned in the first week of the following month. So if you're doing it in May, it gets turned in in June and it gets emailed to the AOT um, general email account. So this is also a two-page document in which you are answering questions on health, adaption, social skills, and behavior. Um, The big key note here in regards to filling it out is that on the top corner, there's a monthly status with several options. So admin is gonna be when you're when you do your very first one following enrollment. Then treatment plan is gonna be each month while the client is in treatment after the admit, after the first one, which will be the admin one. Um, when you are discharging the client from the AOT program, that final one that you're gonna turn in, if the client is considered to have graduated from AOT, you will choose that option. So this is somebody who successfully completed. Um, AOT, and they're ready to move on in lower level care. Uh, Discharge to higher level care will be somebody who may have been conserved, or maybe we actually refer them over to ERS and they are now admitted to an ERS. So that final one um, is going to be related to a higher level care discharge. Then there's a discharge option. So this is going to be for anyone who's not considered to have gone to a higher level of care or to graduate So this would be somebody you guys were unable to locate. They went to jail. They left the county. Um, we terminated from court, which I'll explain more down the line, um, who was not successful. The third survey um, is a client self report survey. It is, to can be, it is to be completed by the client and staff can assist in completing this survey. This document also should be turned in no matter if the client completes it or not, and I'll indicate why when we look at it. It's available in 12 languages. The languages are listed on this slide. Um, it gets done at three month intervals. So after admission, so at the three month, three months post admission, six months, nine months, twelve months, and so on if the client remains past the year. Um, the survey should be completed as closely reasonable to the specific time frame, so the, the three month increments. Um, if a survey is earlier or late, still do the next one at the scheduled the scheduled amount of time. If you rarely see a client, and maybe this is one of those difficult cases that it's a hit or miss, then um, if you know you're going to see the client around that window, then try to do it then, even if it's a little early. Again, it's the same thing, same email address it goes to, and um, it's due the first week of the following month after its completion. So this is a four-page document. Um, and as I mentioned, it gets completed even if the client is unwilling to do that, and that's going to be because of page one. There are a few general information that gets filled out, such as like the agency name, the client's name, admin date, um, the time period. So if it's three months, six month increment, um, who who assisted? But at the bottom, the last box asks is the reason it was not completed. So this is why this should get com- Um, be turned in no matter what because you need to answer why it was not done and this could be as simple as the client refused to do it. Um, So it just asks general questions as it relates to how the client feels about the services that are being offered and and the team. The last one is the clinician rated client treatment goals measure. Um, This is completed by the client's treatment staff it's done at six months intervals, so six months, 12 months, and so on until they graduate. If the uh, graduate or or the case is closed, Um, if graduation occurs outside of that typical interval of windows, then just make sure you complete one of these. Um, Say say client gets terminated at eight months, make sure you do a clinician rated client treatment goals measure. Again, it goes to the same email address due the first week of the month for the previous month. So this is a three-page document. Um, There's general general information again on page one. Then there's a question about family's involvement with the treatment plan, uh, questions about frequency of medication management, and then page two and three are related to the client's actual treatment goals. Lastly, because the clients are in, if the clients are enrolled in one of the FSP programs, then you guys also have to complete um, outcome measures applications, OMAs. Um, Again, the outcome measures applications was available in response to the Mental Health Service Act and needs to be completed for all AOT clients enrolled with an FSP provider. Just two um, key notes about the entry of the measures into OMA. Um, the group name should be part of the client's age group. So it, is the client a adult, or older adult? In regards to program name, for our AOT clients, there's gonna be two options that are gonna be used currently. Uh, this may change as Elma's um, support may be updated and, and changed, the system might be changed, but currently there's gonna be two options used for program name. AOT LA FSP, any client who's sitting on one of the 300 allocated AOT FSP slots with those existing 15 agencies that had an AOT contract, if you're being told that the client is one of those clients on those 300 slots, then your OMA entry should be AOT LA FSP. Now, if the client's referral is coming to your agency to your adult FSP slot even if you're one of those 15 agencies that has an AOT program, because some of you guys have adult FSP. If the client is sitting on the adult FSP slot, then the program name needs to be adult. This might get confusing for your staff, so please make sure that um, those of you who have both programs, both type of slots, that whoever's enter these these in, if you guys have your own unit, who enters them in, that they're aware of this change. We want to make sure that the client is being identified appropriately based off of which slot they are sitting on. Um, so referrals to AOT. Um, this link is the most updated. Uh, is the link with the most updated referral for AOT? We do have, uh, it's a two-page paper referral that needs to be completed. It can be emailed or faxed, um, which the information is on the referral. Uh, We do ask that it is completed to the fullest extent that it can be completed because that's how we pool the criteria. Um, We do do some investigation to ensure that we have everything we need, Um, but again, it's it's kind of hard to search for some cases. So it's best that whoever's referring is fully completing the referral. If uh if it's a mental health provider who's completing the referral and they are not licensed, such as a ASW or an MFT intern or even um, an un- unlicensed professional clinical counselor or a psychologist who's not licensed yet. Um, we ask that you guys include your supervisor, your licensed supervisor's name um, on the referral in addition to your own name and your discipline. Now, if it's other treatment team members such as community caseworkers or medical caseworkers, they're not eligible. So we'll need to be somebody who's on the clinical side who is making a referral to AOT. Um, With I'll say that after. So, uh, this is what our referral looks like. Um, again, our email address is there, which is our general email address, which is where it should be referred. Um, just as I mentioned earlier, you know, both of our supervisors are going to be leaving the program soon. And I know sometimes they get referrals themselves. So please start making sure that um, if you usually kind of try to refer through team members that you guys start um, either faxing it or sending it to our general AOT email account to ensure that the referrals are actually getting to us. Um, Our our fax was updated a few months ago, maybe about two to three months ago, I want to say, maybe longer. Um, So this is the correct fax number, uh, 213 402 3043. Um, If you have any old versions of our referral, please make sure uh, you're utilizing the correct facts, especially since now we're leaving the building so that there's no way to obtain that anymore. Um, So we have the information regarding the referring party. Um, Very important because again, only certain individuals can refer to our program for us to accept the referral. If it's a Non-qualified referring party, we cannot accept the referral. Um, So it's very important that's completed. Then we have client's demographic information, um, current living situation, um, as well as the address is really important. Uh, If the client has an actual address that they live at, but maybe currently they're in a hospital or they're in jail, I would encourage you guys to mark both and provide the actual address of the client, um, as well as you can write on there, like which hospital it is, if they're there. That is very beneficial and helpful for our staff. Um, There is insurance, benefit information. Then we also have a section regarding concerns of high risk. Um, So we wanna know if there's any history or access to weapons because our staff do go into the field for every case that we accept. They do not do telehealth, It's, it's in the field. Um, we also ask about history of fire setting or registered sex offender, um, very big things to know in general, but especially if we're trying to consider if an ERS is appropriate or not. Conservatorship history is another one. Um, we, we do not accept individuals who are currently conserved now with SB 507, um, we can accept referrals for individuals in which they are considering terminating the conservatorship if the client was accepted to AOT. This typically is not going to come from family members or mental health providers. This is going to come from the court itself um, or from PG. So we often have a conversation um, or the doctors who are doing the evaluation to determine if termination should happen. That's actually often where we're getting these type of referrals from. They're coming from the doctor who's doing the eval. Um, so we have had a few cases like that, that we, we implemented in that way prior to SB 507, even passing on the 30th. Um, but a client who's currently in conservatorship with no expectation for it to terminate, um, we do not accept. And then substance abuse history um, and then compliance with services so again this is a key component of our our criteria so um is the client involved with any provider we would definitely want to know what the uh who the provider is the number and then if they're compliant with medication Um, i do encourage that if you guys are fsp providers making a referral that not just providing the name of your agency but indicating that it's actually fsp so that way, um, we're handling these type of cases in a different manner and a different time frame. So please, that would, that would benefit you guys in, in making sure you indicate it's FSP. And then page two has what our actual criteria is um, related to arrests. And that can, that's going to match with if there's any forensic mental health episodes, hospitalizations, any threats or acts of violence. Um, so we ask for the dates and then what a description of what happened or what the name of the hospital Um, and then immediate risk and safety concerns, um, information regarding the surviving safely in the community without supervision and deterioration, and then the non-compliance with treatment again. Um, In addition, when an actual, when a client is referred to FSP, um, there are several documents that the provider will be given. One of them is, um, besides the AOT referral, is also what we call the initial investigation, which is this two-page document, which documents our AOT criteria. So page one is gonna have um, majority of those, well, all of those boxes should be checked off. Um, in regards to part two, part one's gonna say who the qualified referring party was, um, who did the investigation, will be the, who the form was completed by, and then, if it's being a referral is being made for FSP or ERS, then the meets AOT criteria is going to be checked. Sometimes some of our stuff are really good and nice, and they put in some additional information that poly occurred following us accepting. And while they were outreaching, they they throw in some information into that box right there. Um, page two is the actual criteria. Uh, this can vary and the amount of information you give based off of the staff who completed it. It could be very general in that the criteria was met. So saying yes or no and saying, um, you know, criteria one or criteria two was met. Or some staff are very more detailed and give actual um, explanations of how it was met. The clinical summary will oftentimes... If there's anything significant that we know um, that may be of concern um, related to kind of symptoms or behaviors or, or incidents that have occurred, our staff will write that in again if we're aware of it. Um, before getting to questions on that matter, um, I did want to share that currently our we have a waitlist for AOT. And I think some people have heard that, because I have had questions come up with that. Um, we are when we get referrals we are reviewing them in a timely manner as as they're coming in um i think right now we might be about two weeks behind on on referrals so it takes us about it's taking us about two weeks to review them um to initially review them it could take us a little bit longer to make a decision depending on information is missing but we are reviewing them as we get them Um, If they are accepted, meaning that if they met the AOT criteria, they are then being put on a wait list to be assigned to our outreach and engagement team. As I had mentioned, we're operating technically for all of LA County with only four operating two-man teams. Um, That amount is not enough to handle the cases that we have. Our our staff um, kind of have been doing all they can, but trying to be able to see the clients on a weekly basis or touch base with the client on a weekly basis became really difficult so in July we started a waitlist and in addition to that that was because of majority of service areas had waitlists for fsp's as well so our outreach team got backed up due to the waitlist that was being created with fsp's so the waitlist still exists right now, I think we might have about, we jump between 20 to 30 some cases weekly that are, that remain on the waitlist. Um, we probably remove anywhere between, um, one to five clients a week from that waitlist per per office. Um, every client gets put on the waitlist, but there are some exceptions, um, We'll make a determination if the client should be accepted right away and assigned based off of the need. And this is more of a safety risk type of need. And again, many of our clients might have some safety risks. So we're really trying to filter through who really needs to be contacted immediately, Um, One of those exceptions are also the FSP, which we'll talk more about tomorrow. Um, They are not being waitlisted if they are enrolled in FSP. And tomorrow, the first thing we will talk about is why that is and what that process actually is going to look like for an enrolled FSP client. But note that they will not be waitlisted. They will be automatically assigned. I think that's it as it relates to referrals. Um, For day two, again, it's going to be all more about the services, um, working with the clients, the procedures and the guidelines and what's expected of providers for any, when a referral is made to them and when a client is enrolled with them, the paperwork that needs to be done um, and then um, some of the expectations related to it. And in addition, um, for the last hour or so, I'm gonna have two of our current AOT providers Share with you their experience and answer some questions that often come up when new providers are working with our AOT clients. I would like for them to kind of share how they approach those situations um, and how they've been handling those types of incidents. If there is there any questions regarding the section we just covered or regarding any of the information that has been provided today, we still have a good amount of time. I kind of guess I rushed through this, Um, but. If
1: there's any questions. Yes, I do have some questions. Um, What is the protocol for when a non-compliant client is court petitioned but continues to be non-compliant and is at risk of deterioration up to the petition termination date, i.e. when a court petition doesn't appear to improve client outcomes?
0: Um, so this will definitely all the petition stuff um, is going to be talked about on Thursday, but we do have hospitalization orders that we can utilize. There is a criteria to request that hospitalization order, um, but that is one one option, or, or that's an option that should be explored um, for a client who's non-compliant, whose petition in the long run. Um, if the client remains resistant and non-compliant, um, completely resistant and non-compliant while petition, we typically, at a minimum, we will give it 60 days of that court order before making a determination if we should let go of that case. We may hold out for three months, it may be a little bit longer, depending on if the client is kind of a back and forth type of case, um, but we could terminate petitions early earlier than the six months if there is a non-compliant, is a resistance and a non-compliance. It's just, what does that exactly look like before we make that decision? So there's nothing else. And this is actually um, the end of the information I have for today. As I mentioned, day two will be um, all about the provider working with the client, and then a round table with two of our providers. And then day three will be all about our court process. Um, what is a petition and all the documentation that's needed and the expectations um, of working with a client who's petitioned and working with the court team. Um, So we'll go over that information. If you guys have the PowerPoint, the very last page or second to the last page has contact information. Um my name and my phone number and email address is on there. So if you have any questions, um, feel free to reach out to me. I am the main contact when it comes to FSPs. Um, once you're done with a handoff of a client with our outreach team, I will be the person that you guys will be communicating with. Um, so if you guys do have any questions about the program or about the content of today's information or, or so forth, uh, feel free to reach out to me. If not, thank you for joining and I will see you guys all tomorrow.